0: You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Hey, Shortwavers. Today we're starting out with the story of the birds and the bees. No, like the actual birds and the bees. We're talking pollination. Okay, quick plant sex ed talk. Plants reproduce when pollen from a male flowering plant ends up in the female part of a plant. That fertilization leads to seeds, the embryos of the plant world. And though a flower can pollinate itself, cross-pollination between plants gives them the advantage of increased genetic diversity. Dr. Vivian Solis-Weiss says, for the garden variety land plant, there are two main ways cross-pollination can happen. One is airborne,
1: taken by the wind, and they eventually end up in the female flower and pollinate it. The second is by insects, in general it's bees or butterflies, that are attracted to the the
0: male flower. Vivian studies pollination, but not in any of the plants we grow in our gardens.
1: So in the ocean, no one ever imagined that there was an animal that could influence this uh, sexual reproduction. So it was accepted that it went only through water currents. And it's exactly like with the wind, except it's water.
0: Vivian and her team discovered pollinators in the ocean for the first time ever. Today on the show, how Vivian and her team made their landmark discovery, what underwater plant sex looks like, and why the research is currently on hold. I'm Regina Barber, and you're listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. Vivian Solis-Weiss is an oceanographer at the Institute of Marine Sciences. In Puerto Morelos, Quintana Roo in Mexico, close to Cancun. She specializes in a kind of marine invertebrate called polychaetes. They're also known as marine worms, although they can get fancy looking.
1: Even though some look like worms, uh, there are others that they call uh, the um, Christmas tree worms. They are beautiful. When you see corals, at some point you will see like uh, tentacles or like a a little Christmas tree, which can be orange or red or whatever. These are polychaetes. And others look like flowers. And they look like whatever because there are 14,000 known species. So they come out at night to feed. They stay during the day embedded in the sediment so as to avoid the predators that would eat them.
0: Vivian had studied these worms for years, discovering dozens of new species. And then, one day, she got a call from a colleague who worked with ocean seagrasses. Seagrasses are underwater plants, unlike, say, seaweeds, most of which are types of algae. And seagrass beds happen to be where the marine worms she studies live.
1: A well-known botanist called Brigitte van Thurzenbroek, she approached me as a zoologist to know what did I think of finding there these invertebrates in the flowers? It was an intriguing question, because these plants are unique. About 100 million years ago, some plants, some grasses, which are called now seagrasses, they went back to the sea. The seagrasses will stay in the sea forever. They cannot go back because the DNA changes were too big.
0: Changes like surviving in salt water and losing those little pores they use to absorb air. But these grasses kept their flowers, which had something in common with Vivian's marine worms.
1: Coincidentally, we discovered that the flowers open up at night. The female flowers can open anytime, but the male flowers only open up at
0: night and they release pollen just after night has set on. Vivian and Brigitte had a feeling they were on to something, but they didn't know exactly what. Uh, Brigitte herself asked, do you think
1: they do something uh, to pollinate? Well, I said,
0: I don't know. Remember, underwater plants were thought to reproduce just from pollen drifting in the currents. Having a helper organism in there was a totally new idea. So they made a plan to figure it out.
1: So we would go before the sun sets and we would put cameras there close to the flowers. The flowers, by the way, are very hard to locate because they are very small and they are very close to
0: the ground, like one or two centimeters to the seafloor. When the team went back and reviewed the videos, they saw marine worms and other small animals visiting flowers and getting pollen stuck to their bodies. They hypothesized that this could be evidence of animal pollination in the ocean.
1: I must say that when we first wanted to publish those results, we met strong opposition. Especially the journals are are in the United States, and they wouldn't believe us. So they said, this is only an hypothesis that you invented, and it's not possible. Especially because we are Mexicans. But anyway, finally, uh,
0: we could get through and uh, so they published it. The next step was to show that this pollination could happen without any water currents. So the team recreated the experiment. They put seagrass in aquaria with different polychaetes and crustaceans.
1: What we saw is uh, some species of polychaetes that, that can swim. It makes movements directed to the flower. You can see them foraging, which is uh, looking for food inside. And that's how they get uh, all the pollen grains attached to their body parts. And we found them also with pollen grains in the body, not only around the body, which means they are also eating it.
0: They published the results from the aquarium studies in a big name journal in 2016. So
1: now nobody can deny it. And... Um, And
0: now it's a fact. Vivian says these findings changed the way people who study life in the ocean think about its evolution. And it gave her the chance to revel in the feeling of discovery. I feel real,
1: real great because it's something nobody has seen before, nobody had imagined before. This is evolution that we are witnessing. We know they came back to to the sea about 100 million years ago but we didn't know how similar can the situations be between inland life for those grasses and what is happening now undersea, sea, you see? So it was uh, such a, a joy to be there, you know, in the scuba diving, and I felt immediately that it was very important in our knowledge of how
0: evolution develops. But the pollination research had hit a serious ecological roadblock. In fact, the work had basically ground to a halt while they deal with an interloper. Deadly blooms of algae called sargassum. It's kilometers
1: and kilometers of that uh, sea of sargassum. It's 60 centimeters deep. However, with the climate change, with the warming of the seas, they began to grow out of control and they began to drift with the Gulf Stream, and then to Africa, and then they cross the Atlantic to get to Brazil, and then the current takes them down to here, down to Florida, uh, Carolinas, and it will eventually get to New York. So we are trying to to save the, the ecosystems that are beneath, and once we save them, we can return to the, the basics. But uh, right now, is a problem of
0: survival that we are enduring, Now, Vivian is working on what to do with the sargassum that washes up on the beaches and rots.
1: It begins to be like a corpse who is rotting in front of you because there are tons and tons and tons that accumulate every day and they will uh, make you sick and eventually you will die if you stay there. If the um, seaweeds are there, the algae, the sargassum, it will kill everything which is underneath. Our group is focused from the detection with satellites from NASA to the final disposal. First, to avoid having it come to the beach, and then when it is in the beach, because it will get there, some part of it, what do you do with it? So this
0: is, everyone is focused on that. If scientists can figure out how to eradicate all this toxic algae, Vivian can get back to the business of studying underwater plant love again. I think it's very romantic to know
1: that, you know... You have plants there that are pollinized exactly the way we see the the bees and the butterflies in land, although maybe, because it happens at night, we should uh, think more of the bats and moths. but I think it's more romantic to think of them as uh,
0: butterflies and bees. Vivian Solis-Weiss is an oceanographer at the Institute of Marine Sciences in Mexico. This episode was produced by Burley McCoy, edited by Gabriel Spitzer, and fact-checked by Margaret Serino and Elby Levine. The audio engineer was Valentina Rodriguez-Sanchez. Giselle Grayson is our Senior Supervising Editor. Brendan Crump is our Podcast Coordinator. Our Senior Director of Programming is Beth Donovan, and the Senior Vice President of Programming is Anya Grundman. I'm Regina Barber. Thanks for listening to Shortwave from NPR.